Good afternoon, and welcome to the Healthy Indoors Live Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. I'm the founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine, and thanks so very much for joining us this uh, fine Thursday afternoon. Um, first day of July, kind of exciting. This this year's flying by. We're halfway through 2021, um, and yeah, we're still trying to run away from 2020. So, uh, you know, really, I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, it's a topic that... Uh, our uh, editor of the publication, Susan Valenti, and I speak about all the time in the industry. Um, you know, where are the new young, new breed, new crop of young professionals that are going to replace all of us, um, basically old dogs that have been here forever? And uh, that's a good question because I'm not really sure where they are. But um, in re in reality, um, there is a you know there is a, a group and a, a lot of new new individuals jumping into the industry. So um, today we're, we're fortunate to have, uh, to be joined by two of them um, uh, with us uh, for today's show in no particular order. So don't take offense if I call one before the other um, it, are uh, Shyasia Erickson. She's an epidemiologist and industrial hygienist. And uh, she works for uh, the company HC3, Healthcare Consulting and Contracting. I may have that wrong. Uh, anyway, in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and also uh, a, a coworker of hers, Alexa Jennings. Uh, she is also an industrial hygienist. Uh, her background is mostly in toxicology. Both of them uh, work for HC3. And uh, they're relatively new to the industry. Don't take offense when I say you're newcomers, because I know, Shy, you've been, what, 10 years in the industry plus? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Alexa, you've been over five, right? Over five, yeah. Yeah, so so you're not really newcomers, but you're newcomers compared to old people like me. Uh, so anyway, this is, this is fantastic having you guys here. Um, what, what our focus for today is really... I want to I want to get your impressions because and I said this in the liner notes for the show um, and I think to our detriment this industry is predominantly dominated by a bunch of old old guys you know right and and, uh, and that's that's been what you're accustomed to seeing in the IAQ in the industrial hygiene area um, and that's not really representative of where we need to go forward with all these various verticals in the industry. So I guess my first question I'll pose to both of you. Well, first, let's let's get a little background from either of you. I guess I'd like to have, you know, tell us where you came from. So Shai, um, you're you're an epidemiologist. Uh, you have a master's in public health right? and you do industrial hygiene work. So to just tell us a little bit about your background, your education and uh, uh, so, some just a little, some tidbits about you. No problem. Well, thank, first off, thank you for having us today on your show. But uh, my background is in epidemiology. I graduated from Florida A&M University here in Tallahassee, Florida with a concentration in public health and epidemiology. Um, while I was in school, I was also working at the Florida Department of Health as a vector-borne disease surveillance program coordinator as well as a tick-borne disease coordinator. And I was doing that for about six years. Um, and then I decided I kind of want to branch off and do something new. And I kind of ended up in this field, industrial hygiene. So I've been doing that for about four and a half years now um, with healthcare consulting and contracting under Dr. Krause. And I've been loving it. Nice, nice. Um, Alexis, I'm going to put you in the same, uh, same uh, uncomfortable position of speaking about yourself. So I actually came from a completely different world. I was a professional ballerina before this. 
Wow. Um, I had, I did, I graduated my undergrad with biology and chemistry, and then I decided to go travel East and run around China and I came back and had nothing to do. And uh, I met um, Dr. David Krauss at lunch and he asked about myself and I told him that I had a degree and travel experience and that was about it. And he asked if I wanted a job. And so I said, yes. Yeah. So everything I know about the field has been from him. I've been with David for five years and then I went to get my master's degree from Florida International University. I um, got my master's of public health with a concentration in environmental toxicology. And um, I've been loving every moment of what I've done so far. So that's, that's really exciting. Um, and of course, those of you who watch the show regularly, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Krause, David is a uh, regular, he's been a regular on our show. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, uh, you know, and I've known David for a very long time, uh, back when, as I told you in the pre-show, when, when David was a wee folk, no, when he was young, uh, which makes me feel extremely old today, unfortunately. Uh, that being said, so I, I'm going to pose this question to both of you and, um, you know, so what, what attracted you to get into this industry? I know Alexis, you just said, well, you know, it was you know, meeting Dave. It wasn't necessarily a preordained path for you. Um, and Cheyenne, I'm assuming that's the same thing. Or was you were in public health at Florida Department of Health, right? Right. So, but so you know, in high school, let's say you're in high school and you're making decisions on what your career path is going to be. What got you to go into this uh, curriculum and and to go down this path initially? Would you like me to start a business? Or sure, sure. Um, like you said, I was working at the health department already. Um, my undergrad degree is actually in food science and I wanted to save the world from world hunger. Um, but then my senior year, I wanted to have somebody from the health department do a seminar and I just fell in love with the public health aspect. Um, and then I wound up applying for an internship at that time and got it at a local health department and I loved it. I was out in the field every day doing inspections, but most importantly, um, engaging in, in educating people in the community about various public health topics from how to store your food so that you don't have a foodborne illness outbreak and how to properly maintain your pool on the property. So I really, really enjoy that. And then um, after that, I graduated and started working at the state office and which I enjoyed, but I was doing that for six years. But what what I was finding challenging was that we tend to stick in our little bubble um, at the health department and not really have opportunities to kind of collaborate with some of the other disease related programs. So, but I, every week in the bureau, we had this uh, weekly meeting where all the programs would come together and we would discuss current case counts, trends, ongoing investigations or finding some um, investigations that were recently closed. And I would just find it so fascinating that People have no idea that there's small teams out here that's monitoring and surveillance, providing surveillance for a lot of reportable diseases. And I remember walking out of that meeting one day and talking to a colleague and said, I really want to get back into the field work, but I don't really want to go back to local government for various reasons. And then she had just this, um, suggested, like, well, have you thought about going into the private sector? And I mentioned that she knows somebody who is looking for a team to start an industrial hygiene team slash consulting team. And so I did some research on industrial hygiene because the first thing I said, what is that? Um, and then once I did my research, I found out that this can provide um, an opportunity to kind of step out of the norm of what I was kind of told 
while in school and at the health department for epidemiologists or anyone in the public health field, kind of government setting jobs was kind of all that you would really be doing. But here's an opportunity for me to work on some very interesting projects, um, to say the least, as well as some opportunities to travel and get out in the field and really get back into engaging with the community. And here I am four and a half years later. Yeah, it's funny how things work, you know, and Alexis, I, I guess I'll, I'll let you take a shot at it. You know, it's again, you, you, you said you were, you were in ballet. I was. I've so interesting. For 20 years. <laughs> um, and I, it was my job and I loved it and I broke a lot of bones and then I was done. But <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I didn't want to sit behind a desk all day. Um, I knew that for sure. So I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, started the process of applying and realized that this wasn't for me. Um, so when I went to go travel East, I did a lot of volunteering and saw a lot of health issues that I, at first, I guess my bias being from the States said, well, this is just a China issue. There's a lot of smog and the water, all the fish are dead. And that just happens over here. Come back to the States and I see very similar things. Um, and I guess it never really dawned on me that we have a lot of you know, environmental and, and uh, indoor air quality issues until I met David, who asked if I wanted. At first, he just told me I was going to be an intern. I didn't know what I was interning for. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I said I was going to be running coffee and taking notes. And I think the day of my interview, he invited me out on a job site at a condemned building. Well, I'm going to call it, it was a condemned building. It should have been in Tallahassee. <laughs> and it You'd was condemn a, it. Yeah, I should. I condemn it. Um, and if it's not closed already, I don't know why it's still up. But, um, we went out on the site and uh, we were with a contractor and walking around. And the first thing that happens, bats are flying over our heads and like in a building. And then um, oh, you yeah. know, carpet and like where the water fountain was and roaches pop out of the ground. And I'm like, what did I get myself into? Like, this is not intern work. But David kind of sat me down and said, well, this is, you know, this is what we do. We go out in the field and. I promise you'll never have the same day twice and you won't sit behind a desk. And I said, great, sign me up. And he has kept his promise. <laughs> I, I don't sit behind a desk very well, I do now, but I didn't used to uh, seven and a half months ago. Um, didn't sit behind a desk often and I still have never had the same day twice. And then I figured out what industrial hygiene was. Um, it was. It was something that we had never been taught in school, not, not even in my master's program after I was already working for about four years, never once did anyone mention that this was a field that someone could go into. So um, yeah, that's kind of what got me down this path. So that's really interesting too, because um, and it raises my, my next question, really just opposed to in both of you as a, as a group here. Um, and, and I know the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA, you know, has, has kind of changed their moniker, right? Healthy, the healthy work the model it to healthy workplace, uh, which makes sense because the, is the term industrial hygienist really an appropriate term to describe what either of you do or other people in this industry do that, that do similar, uh, similar work? I will say for the last, you know, five years I've been doing this, I haven't done classic industrial hygiene work. Um, so no, I don't, I think it is a misnomer, certainly the way the field is going now. Um, because I, I honestly couldn't, I can't explain to somebody what an industrial hygienist is and what they do, because I don't do that. Not in the, in the traditional sense. 
I mean, we're more in, I mean, I would say it's, it's more evolved to being more of a health and safety professional. I mean, is that, a, is that a fair statement? I would say so. Cl- close. I mean, that's closer descriptive, is it not? So you agree. you agree, Shai? I would agree. It's in an occupational setting. So I would definitely agree. Yeah. And, th- and that's the other thing too, is, uh, you know, back in the early, and I'm going to say early days of indoor air quality, which is really kind of a stupid thing. Just indoor air quality has been a concern ever since we were in caves with fires. I mean, so there's, there's always been indoor air quality concern, but you know, since I guess the, the re the reemergence or the true emergence of that as an actual area, you know, and I, I'm going to say the late eighties, I mean, I'm, and there's probably people who are no longer with us. that would take exception to that. You know, that probably it started really in the seventies. Uh, but that being that being said, right, um, it, it's it's really it's kind of evolved, right? And the, the the awareness thing. So, and again, the term industrial hygienist made sense when we had heavy industry, lots of industry in this country. And I think people with your degrees and you, a lot of you, you would be working in industry doing industrial hygiene. Correct work, right? I mean that that actually exists. That doesn't exist all that much anymore. I mean, there's some, but so. So that's that's a problem. In the pre-show, we, we were discussing how when you introduce yourself to somebody first time in a social setting, you say you're an industrial hygienist, and this, you know, Thanks, what? <laughs> what? How do you, so? How do you? How do each of you introduce yourselves uh, to a first time meeting? And you know, I'm just curious. You know, how, how would you? Uh, you're industrial hygienist, but we your 15 second elevator pitch. What, what do you do? Do more depending on the individual, I think it is in the setting. It, you're gonna adjust it, but just talking to friends and family when they said, What do you do? You know, I was telling you at the pre-show, my sister after I left the state was telling people that I collected water for a living. I was just like, there's so much more that I do than go around collecting water samples. So um I think when I explain what I'm doing, the first thing is environmental based. Any public health issue that's related to environmental conditions or health concerns. I do something related to that field, indoor air quality, mold and moisture, waterborne pathogens assessment, and et cetera, et cetera. And you're over 15 seconds. So you're, you're already, that's the problem though, right? Because it's not that simple. You can't just take a two word uh, phrase and, and describe what you do, right? That's right. How, how do you approach that, Alexis? I, I do similar with Shai. I talk about the environmental aspect of public health, and usually that still goes over people's heads. So then I start giving examples. Um, I talk about Flint, Michigan, and their water crisis. I usually tell them that I fly all over the country to help um, people prevent or um, or uh, walk them through their public health um, outbreak or crisis. And then if that doesn't work, then I just kind of tell them I'm a environmental scientist and that usually seems to get people at least on a similar page with me well scares them off at least <laughs> because you know as soon as you say scientist you, you know you become scary and and they're they want to probably see where your lab jacket is it, it, but it's you know it's the same thing for me it, it, I, i've been an indoor environmental consultant you know doing i guess a lot of the work would be considered industrial hygiene over my 35 years um but it's so hard to describe because never, the days, you're right, the days are not the same. One day you can be in a commercial setting, you could be at somebody's house another day, you're in, you know, you're in healthcare, you're in schools, you're all over the place. You see all these, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but I guess that's good, right? That's a plus? It's a plus for me. So, I mean, so, so this is as an industry, I mean, career path, again, 
neither of you probably envisioned where you are today 10 years ago, right? That you would be here or 15 years ago yeah. when you were younger. So, but you you both look like you're enjoying it. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, well, I mean, it's, it, yeah. it, it, rather than say, you know, my job sucks and I hate it. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to say that on air either because Krauss would be watching this. But, um, but I mean, the, re- <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. It's got to be filtered. Um, yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't even have said that. The, the thing is, is like, it really is an exciting career, right? And, and I mean, do you, do you, do you take, enjoy, I mean, you must take, get, get a lot of enjoyment out of being able to go out and problem solve, right? Because you have new, every time, every job is a, a bit different. So you have to be on your feet. You're not just going by a textbook here, right? Absolutely. It is definitely a rewarding career. And I'm happy that I made that change from working in a government setting into this type of setting. Because like I said, I wanted to get more involved in the community and, and start engaging with people again. I mean, sitting behind the desk and crunching the numbers and producing reports, I only felt I was making so much of an impact. So getting back into the field and learning new things outside of just that small um, disease program that I was a part of has been eye-opening for me. So, so like she said, one minute we're working on a mold and moisture project. And then the next week I'm working on a VOC project or we're at a manufacturing company for tear gas doing a risk assessment over there. So it's always different. It's always something new to learn. And I've just really been enjoying it and look forward to what the rest of the years and other opportunities have in store for us. Yeah. So, I mean, here, here's the elephant in the room, right? I mean, again, I, I alluded to this early on in the show, you know, th- this is predominantly a white male dominated industry. It is, there's no question about it. Should it be? No, it shouldn't be. It's not representative of what the world is, but the reality is that's kind of where it is. So both of you coming in as, as women and, and also as African-American that that's, it's got to pose some challenges, does it not? I mean, initially, and I, again, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable here. I'm just saying this. I, I mean, personally, I haven't felt some of those challenges. I mean, one of the plus sides, I think, being one of the younger professionals here is that you work with people that's been doing this for decades and got years of knowledge and experience and want to share that knowledge and experience. So it's been pretty um easy to kind of maneuver in this field versus kind of where some people want to hold some information for job security reasons or something like that. I haven't experienced that in this field, even though um, there's not a lot of people that look like me or may not relate to me on personal levels, but I personally haven't felt that be a limitation moving forward. I felt it be a a limitation, not from my industrial hygiene colleagues, but usually from the contractors or the, um, the client, I'll get on site and they look at me like I'm still in high school and assume that they don't have to listen to me or they don't know what I'm talking about. So that has been a challenge of the last five years for sure, trying to um, convince people that I'm, actually, I'm very qualified for what I do and uh, I, I know what I'm talking about. And I will say about 90% of the time, I usually have someone else with me either David or another older colleague. And so they um, kind of talk to them more and then I get overshadowed that way. But when I am by myself, I have to learn to, to be assertive and, you know, tell people that I, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not 18, I promise. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting too. I mean, both of you have impressed me just, you know, just with our brief dealings together that you definitely project 
professionalism and, you know, and confidence, no question about it. And, and that's huge. Um, I, I know when I was first coming up in the industry, again, being, you know, the young guy, uh, it was tough with contractors. It's funny that, you, you know, you mentioned that, Shai, because contractors, and Alexa said that too, contractors sometimes can be really difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that really, really couched, you know, it's like sometimes, yeah, it's just once in a while, they're difficult. Um, and the last, I, I remember when I, I'm talking back 30 years now, I was at a project and some general contractor at a school was dusting all the classrooms, you know, during school, you know, the project ran over and, you know, it started saying like, I've been, the guy goes, I've been doing this 35 years giving me a lecture. Well, right now there's also a news crew outside watching the fact there's kids coughing in the corridor and, and the school district hired me to come in as a consultant on this. And he's telling me, oh, I've been doing this 35 years. I go, well, you've been doing it wrong for 35 years. You don't get points for that, dude. <laughs> it's like, I don't care how long you've been doing it. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's, but it's tough. You, you, you probably always have to feel like you're trying to educate people too, right? Always. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as far, you know, so, both of you describe your paths coming in here. I mean, do you see, and again, I, I don't see this because I'm in my isolated cell here, literally in a uh, TV studio. Uh, are there a lot of uh, people, you know, younger people entering this, this industry in these fields? Are you seeing that or no? No. Wow. So it's, no. so it's not just my perception here. Susan and I both had that perception. Uh, wow. Um, Why? To this day, if we go out on site or if we go to a conference, I've been the youngest person there for five years. So it's like the, the end of the age gap is me. And I haven't seen anyone younger coming in um, ever. Like I said, if I'm on field, if we're working with another firm, I'm always the youngest person there. But I think it has a lot to do that a lot of people don't know about in the industrial hygiene field. I mean, like I said, I worked with the health department for six years, never heard of it. And like Alexa said, when she was in school and also when I was in grad school, not one time did they ever mention opportunities like this in the private sector. It was always kind of presented government settings, job opportunities. So I think that's the biggest challenging is just to educate people that there is opportunities out here outside of the normal things that we know about and possibly, you know, participating in job fairs, finding, you know, social media outlets to try to let people know what exactly industrial hygiene is, not cleaning the factories like we were talking during the pre-show, but there's, more, there's a broader, you know, broader sense of responsibilities that come with this field. And I just think it's just the lack of knowledge and exposure to it that leads to this lack of young people joining in. Cause like we have to on it. We're, but we're, we're seeing that in, in various verticals in, you know, in the various sectors of the environmental community. We, we produce another show called Environmental Conversations, which is uh, for uh, environmental engineering. And it's the same thing. You know, it's like, the, you know, they keep saying we got to, you know, introduce this to the younger generation, you know, to as career paths. So it's, it's not just the industrial hygiene. It, it's it's I think it's in all these indoor and outdoor environmental sectors. It, it doesn't seem like there's. For some reason, it hasn't been properly presented. Right. I will um, say in um, in college or in my master's program, right before the year before I came, they did call it um, environmental and occupational health, the particular uh, concentration that I was going in. And when I got there, they changed it to environmental health sciences. And so it just kind of broadened the scope. And I've seen a lot of public health programs take what they used to have as an industrial hygiene specific 
concentration or um, something uh, like environmental toxicology, and they've, they've lumped it together to either just environmental occupational health or even broader environmental health sciences. And they've taken the concentrations within that one. And it, I mean, it goes everywhere to just pollution and everything's generalized now. And so they're not teaching that there is work to be done in the environmental side. A lot of it, and I will say at least for um, FIU, went into brain and behavior in the environment, what kind of toxins in the environment can cause Alzheimer's and dementia. And, and that's what people are focusing on now in the universities. And so the industrial hygiene side has just gone by the wayside. Yeah, that, that's truly unfortunate though, because I mean, obviously the, the, the environments that we, we live and work and spend our time in are, are so integral to like our health, you know, and our whole, you know, our life basically, you know, so yeah, that, that, that's fascinating. What, I mean, what do you think is a really, uh, what's one of the hurdles that I think maybe the industry needs to overcome as far as the stigma, or maybe like, I think you've already pointed to it both, that it's just a lack of even knowledge that, that, that these career paths exist, right? Is, is that, you think that's the biggest challenge to the, uh, to the industrial hygiene uh, profession going forward, you know, to still use that term? Absolutely. I agree. And then I think when people think of field work, they think of it um, not as being a good paying job, but it's a rewarding career. It's been for me. So I, I try to go back to old colleagues at the State Department, as well as from grad school and let them know that try if you want to do field work, try these other opportunities. It doesn't have to be in IH, but it can be in other disciplines like you mentioned. But people just don't know about it until you tell them about it. So, yeah, I mean, the private sector and field work that and that's where you're going to get the varied experiences right on, on the day to day job, whereas you're not sitting there doing the exact same task day in, day out, you know, mm -hmm. being being out in the field you could be presented with any number of scenarios on a given day. So um, I just want to stress to our, our, so we have a pretty good size uh, online virtual audience today. We'll, we'll take your questions once you guys start popping them in there. Uh, right now, uh, if you would uh, type, type perspective questions into the chat function and uh, our uh, moderator over in chat, Susan Valenti, the editor of Healthy Indoors, will uh, uh, get you queued up and we'll bring you on camera and let you ask questions uh, of both of our guests. But I, I guess this is a great time to speak about maybe uh, some of the projects that both of you have been involved with. And uh, I'll let you take a shot at like, what are some of the real unique or interesting or creepy or scary projects that you got involved in? And I, I know we have to be like really smart and not name clients and stuff like that. I, I'm in the same situation. You know, I, I give stories and do presentations, but you have to really be careful not to, you know, let, let anybody know that you're talking about a particular client. I know. I will say for Sean and I both, I remember we were working in our office and David asked Shai to come into my office. And so she came in and he popped his head in and said, what do either of you know about grave digging? <laughs> we looked at each other like, nothing. What kind of question is that? And it was a real project. I mean, it turned out that we had to figure out how to find graves. And I mean, I think Shai had been there, what, maybe three or four months at the time. I did think that long. <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, to find graves. You mean like graves that are not marked somewhere? Yeah, unmarked graves. Oh, okay. All right. I guess I was to go to a cemetery. Unmarked there, but, okay. Yeah. Wow. So that was fun. <laughs> what did you use? Use uh, radar or something? Um, I think Scans? we. Or x ray. 
yeah, uh, radar, X-ray, cadaver dogs, yeah. and I'm pretty sure they're still finding them. Yikes! Yeah, is that a? I mean, is that a big thing? I mean, aside from like you know trying to locate where serial killers are dumping them, mm-hmm. um, I mean, is that? Um, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure where the NDA is on it since it was a Lifetime movie and uh, it's been on 60 Minutes, but I still won't name any names. Yeah, you can't. It's yeah. a big thing. It really was in North wow. Florida. Oh. Eee. Okay, that's different. <laughs> you got to be some other ones. I mean, that's unique. I, I've got to give you that. That was the most what unique. The, what about the prison one? Yep. Um, David also asked if I'd ever been to prison. <laughs> I said, no. Is that in your job? No. No. He goes, do you want to? And I was like, no. What kind of question is that? Uh, next thing I know, I'm um, the only, of course, female and the youngest going into a high security men's prison that has had um, several people overdose on fentanyl. Um, and I've done that now. I've done that what, four or five times. It's, you know, it's second nature now to just go into a high security men's prison and have to be snuck in like because they don't want you know the men to say horrible things to me so i usually hide in the back of the van and they drive me through and i can't be seen until i'm in my full tyvek and respirator because then they can't tell what i am just a small person i guess <laughs> but uh yeah that one that's also interesting and i i forget to tell people i guess give a um preface when i tell people it's like oh yeah i've gone to do drugs in prison and everyone stops and I'm like, oh, right. You don't know what I'm talking about. No, I have not. Yeah, you got to qualify that one. Yeah. So I guess those are the probably the two of the most interesting I've had. Um, my second day on the job, I was on I was in a Tyvek suit crawling in a crawl space. And I was like, what did I just sign up for? But it was fine. It wasn't a big project um, with that one. But it, it, some interesting settings. I will say that. Interesting settings. Um had the opportunity working in a, a system with the Flint crisis, water crisis out there with some people. So that was kind of good to work with that. Um, mold and moisture projects after hurricanes, have to go and assess that and deal with insurance companies. Those have been pretty interesting as well. And of course, my favorite outbreak, um, outbreak um, assessments. When there's an outbreak going on, you get called in. That's my epi coming in to kind of jump. Yeah, in. you're an epidemiologist, so that's yeah. I mean, you know, that 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 gets me all excited and stuff like that. So those are my fun projects. So so when you you worked in public health for for a pretty good part of your the the first part of your career, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming you've dealt with uh, legionnaires disease, disease outbreaks, right? Dealing with legionella a little bit, or um, not not with my. Oh, because you were in fo- you were doing food mostly. That's yeah. You know, I was doing. I was actually doing vector borne disease, so mosquitoes, ticks. Okay. Fleas, West Nile virus, the fun, interesting stuff. That's the program I worked with. And that's why I kind of wanted to branch out and learn other things outside of vector-borne disease program, um, vector-borne diseases, and really broaden my horizon. And I've definitely done that since I've been working in um, industrial hygiene from Legionnaires disease to VOCs to possible cancer cluster investigations at a workplace. Um, so a little of everything. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the mold and moisture. There's no shortage of that in Florida, right? Um, e- even without hurricanes. Correct. And now, we're, now we're in hurricane season, so. Outside of Florida that we worked on too. That's you know, and and that's what's interesting is I was on a call earlier today, and uh, I think a lot of people don't realize they think that most of you know the moisture and mold problems that happen are you know happen in the southeast, 
you know, the United States. Um, but no, not at all. Right. I mean, Phoenix, Arizona is one of the highest incidents of mold moisture problems uh, for major metro areas. Uh, and it's like, how is that possible? They're in the freaking desert. But I mean, again, it's because it's building operations, right? In uh, conditioned air spaces, not removing the latent moisture. And, you know, so so these these problems are pretty much universal, at least in the United States, and I think probably globally. Um, so where do you see the future of this industry? I know this is a loaded question, you know, but I mean, from your perspectives, I'm, I'm not expecting you to, you know, to have a crystal ball here and know exactly what's going to happen, but you know, how do you see this progressing forward? Do you, do you see subs, uh, you know, substantial change in the future, or are we going to keep doing business as usual, especially in light of the pandemic? And we had that in there too, because we're coming off a global pandemic, right? That first time in our lifetimes, we had something of that scale. Um, will, will that change things? Absolutely. I think that um, this industry is going to have to progress forward and not just do business as usual, because I'll say at least when COVID hit, I know a lot of people turned and looked at an industrial hygienist, like what to do. And most of them shook their head and like, I don't know, you know, so things had to be developed and programs had to be developed and experts had to be, um, I guess, developed and then called upon. And so they had to evolve because we had never dealt with anything like this before. And I doubt it'll be the last time we deal with not a pandemic per se, but something that is an issue that no one has ever seen before. No one knows how to deal with. And they're gonna turn to industrial hygienist and ask, what do we do? And we are gonna to have to figure it out. I agree. I definitely think there's a need for industrial hygiene. Um, but like we said already, the lack of exposure or people entering the field has been a bit challenging. Most of the people I've come in um, contact with are been doing this for decades or on the verge of getting ready to retire. And the first thing they said, I don't know who's going to fill my spot. You can always fill the spot, but filling with expertise and knowledge um, is getting lost. So I, I, I think there's definitely some challenges up ahead for IH, but we have to find some new ways of trying to reach out to people. Not only that's in school, but people that's possibly already doing something similar like this and wants to possibly do some career changes. With the pandemic, you've got a lot of people submitting resignation letters and wanting to try something new. This might be a good opportunity for um, AIHA or other nonprofit organizations um, associated with IH work to really get that name out there and let people know exactly what we do and maybe have some new opportunities. But job fairs are possibly collaborating with government agencies to try to bridge that gap so people can start working together instead of being in different rooms talking about the same thing, but nobody's ever collaborating. I think that's a big challenge too. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, and it's industrial hygiene, but I think in general, it's been kind of a recurring uh, comment that I've made for the last year is that this is, there's, as bad as this pandemic was, it also is a unique opportunity because there's been almost a laser focus globally, uh, even down to the consumer level about indoor environments now. Mm -hmm. That'll, you know, and the problem is that's a fleeting thing right when people are scared to death and you're locked in your house quarantined you start worrying about the indoor environment so that so that creates an opportunity for us in the industry you know to actually maybe push some initiatives through because there'll be additional funding there's certainly at least interest and awareness and you know, a lot more public awareness to to improve things in, in environment indoor environmentally and you know and, and i take that across the board when i say indoor environmentally you know shy it's certainly on water too i mean de dealing with you know we've you know it's it's 
just unconscionable that we have such bad public water across the United States, Flint, Michigan, not being the worst. That's, that's the part, like everybody's like, well, that's the outlier. No, there's, I, I read an article that there was like 2,300, uh, counties that are worse in the united states with higher levels of lead and uh pollutants some crazy number like or maybe it was just maybe it wasn't counties maybe it was just testing sites different cities municipalities that would that actually had worse stuff than flint that's not a good sign not at all (laughs) our our infrastructure is awful so we have a question out there so i guess we'll uh we'll take the first one so patrick i'll have you turn your camera on and we'll bring you up here and let you pose your question there he is. Welcome. Hi, Pat. You're muted still. We need to turn that into one button does both. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have a button, but it's behind my neck. <laughs> my question was the residential. Do you guys dabble in the residential side or are you pretty much sticking with the commercial? We do very little residential and it has to be something um, pretty unique or dire for us to do residential. Because you were you were talking about fentanyl and stuff, so we we have a plague up here with the methamphetamine houses, and the biggest problem we have is we have no local standard for fentanyl. We only have a standard for methamphetamine or guidelines from the state, right. and so it's a it's a risky it's a risky environment to walk into. It is absolutely. Um, I would say we've done hotels. The, you know, the extended stay hotels, um, I think that's maybe as residential, that's a lie. We've it done is. a few clandestine drug labs in homes, not many. Um, I think maybe one or two, um, what, like three years ago, but recently it's been um, prisons and hotels or the extended stay hotels as far as uh, fentanyl or even methamphetamines. And the yeah. most residentials related to some type of litigation as well so oh yeah right um and to me the difference of course is in your air system is in your your building environment as to where things how things move and all that kind of stuff and that's why i was asking because there there is definitely a difference there and your your extended stay hotel to me is just a bunch of little residences because they just basically have a a credit it's like multifamily short-term multifamily housing basically yeah with a bathroom fan that does nothing and that's pretty much it <laughs> but you know what the difference is, though. Uh, I mean, with with that type of environment, with the hospitality environment, is that there's a high turnover rate. So a lot of things don't get noticed because people don't spend a long time there. I mean, the extended ones maybe a bit more, but unlike you know, like a residence where you're you know, if you're a, uh, a renter, you're going to be there for you know potentially years. So you know, you have a vested interest in that. But if you're staying in a room for a couple of days, you know, maybe a week, you may just tough it out and never even make a complaint about it, right? Yeah. Or the hotel room where the, with the wallpaper is peeling off the wall and the wall is just, you know, gone behind it. I love blue on there. Keep it moving. (laughs) I mean, that's, 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 that's a challenge. Uh, So follow up on that, Pat, you have any? No, that's all. I was just curious if they dabbled in that much or if they were sticking more in a commercial. Yeah. Unfortunately, just mainly commercial right now, but you never know. You never know. Well, well, what happens? I mean, part of that is because I mean, dare I say this? It's probably where the money is. I mean, you know, I mean, as a consultant, I I tend to shy away from residential too, Mm -hmm. um, just because there's 
often, you know, the potential clients don't have the resources to actually have what needs to be done done. And I, I just can't just take people's money and, and do willy nilly crappy work. I can't do it. It just, it just goes against my grain to have somebody want to pay me to take, you know, three little sport traps or something and write a report and say, I'm all done. I'm not, I'm not super comfortable with that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Um, one, one of the things that I think is kind of important, you know, is, is that, again, there's, there's a lot of issues with, um, I mean, bringing up the residential things is a great point, Pat. Um, and we get this all the time, just even with the publication, people, you know, uh, find healthy indoors magazine online and, you know, we'll get a call to the office and it'll get routed to me. And, you know, and next thing I'll be talking to some homeowner in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, about a mold problem. Um, and, and I feel compelled to do it. <laughs> Just, just because I can't, you know, I feel you know, somebody's at their wits end and they're, you know, their life's falling apart and they're worried about their children. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll be on the phone with them for 15 or 20 minutes trying to give them some pointers and some bullet points on what, you, you know, this is what you could start to do to move forward here. But it doesn't seem like there's uh there's really good information for the general public for a lot of this stuff, is there? You think, you think we're, we're lacking on that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And how could how could we change that? How could how could that be improved? Do you think that has to be from a, a state or federal level, or we do it on the private sector? How do we do that? It should probably be a combination of both. It should be, but I feel like a lot of people take heed more to the state or federal level if they put out a document rather than a private sector putting something out, um, because you know people believe the CDC. Which you know, one of the things I noticed, you know, when I came into the private sector was, I never really questioned a lot of things or documents, guidelines and stuff that I got on the state level that were either from the CDC, EPA, nothing. We didn't really question it. But now that I have this experience of being out in the field, I noticed that there's certain things that are overlooked sometimes from state Um, It makes me question some of the things moving forward, but which is why I think in order to really get ahead of this. It needs to be everybody at the table. People that do this on a daily basis that's out in the field, analyzing, collecting, as well as those that are implementing policies and guidelines out there for people to follow. Do you see that happening though? I mean, do you, I mean, you know, when I say that, do you see that happening in the future? Do you think we'll actually, uh, I guess it hasn't been happening, but I mean, okay, fingers crossed. I haven't seen it happening, but I'm hoping Eventually, it changes. But also another challenge, you know, me and Dr. Krause kind of talked about this, where the lack of trust now people have in public health after COVID, with all the recommendations and back and forth information related to COVID. I think that's going to be another challenge amongst not only public health in general, but anybody giving some guidelines for health and safety for people to actually take adhere to that with the scientific data behind it, supporting it, and really uh, try to make a difference with it. Because now everyone's like, I don't really believe it or who sent it. And I don't know. That's going to be a challenge, I think, too. So we, we have another question. Uh, Terry Sofer, how are you? Hi. I'm, I'm, I'll just give you the give you the floor. Ask your questions. I could I could read them all, but it'd be more fun to have you say. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, let me commend uh, the both of you. Uh, uh, this is just a terrific, in my opinion, a terrific uh, show. And secondly, uh, it's fantastic that you both are in this profession. Thank you. 
Thank you. <laughs> uh, as young professionals uh, in the, what I'll call the IAQ slash EQ slash hygiene uh, profession or fields, uh, do you have any thoughts about how the profession needs to change or improve? Suggestions how the field can change or improve. Um, I would say utilizing technology more would be um, a great benefit to this field, um, especially because of the way things are done before, everything's on paper and you know, just now people are doing things um, on PDFs, but even then to, to incorporate things like smartphones and apps and other things that are coming out in this field, that would really be a benefit, not only to our clients, but to, for us to be able to communicate quickly between each other. It's for um, data collection and right. photo, fo documentation, <laughs> photographs, all that. Knowing trends and all th things like that would be what I would hope to see in the future. I mean, and that's emerging a little bit, at least I know, at least in the classic, you know, in the IAQ areas, I mean, there are there are more data logging devices and more remote devices and IoT type things that are that are out there. Uh, does that actually, how about like distilling it down to the report generation, you know, and, and not suggesting that we have AI writing reports, you know, or boilerplate, but um, mm -hmm. what, what type of things do you think would, would really be beneficial? I don't know what, regarding the report writing, because I mean, it always kind of varies depending on the project and the situation. Um, so you'll need to add your own personal touch on that. But I, I agree 100% what Alexis said, is utilizing some of these technologies. Some of the ways people used to collect samples or analyze samples, like you said, that the pre-show kind of stuck in their ways. And I think if, if people will be a little more open to new technology, new um, laboratory analysis procedures, I think that can definitely like Alexis said, speed up some of the results um, that we receive versus two weeks, it might take a week. But since it's different and people haven't experienced that in the past, they like to stick to what they know. And I find that a bit, a bit challenging sometimes. I mean, there certainly is um, a lot of new AI-based technology for analyses, at least for microscopy coming out. I, I, and again, there's, there's more than one vendor. I'm seeing it coming out in a lot of fronts now. And it makes sense to me. I mean, just as a techie person, you know, and having spent a lot of time with my, and a mic, you know, a bright field microscope, it seems like, yeah, as long as you can get a good library, right. <laughs> a computer should be able to go make the comparisons that your brain's doing faster and probably more consistent because <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it's not lunchtime or Friday afternoon happy hour that you want to get done for. Um, do you see any other stuff on the horizon that could help, uh, you know, help improve what you what you both try to do in the field? Um, I know that we started in a facility in Flint, Michigan, because we were collecting data. Oh my God, almost once a week, uh, we started tagging things with RFID and trying to figure out ways to track trends over time by just scanning a code from one specific location. Um, I don't think it exactly did what we hoped it would do. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was a start, a way to start um, collecting data that you didn't have to keep mountains of, of hand logs and things like that. We really wanted to be able, I mean, my smartphone goes with me everywhere. It's attached to my hand all of the time. Um, but to be able to scan a, a location and see the full history of, of what that fixture has done um, in the past, uh, we could go back five years, um, was what we were hoping to do. Like I said, we'd never really got quite there. Um, it was still pretty... I guess novice at the novel at the time, but um, if if something, I mean, as field people, we we collect all the data, 
Um, so to have something that could keep it sorted for us and be able to flip through historic uh, samples, that would be where I would hope to go because I, now I'm covered in papers all of the time. <laughs> you know, that, that makes total sense. There was a, a company I'm familiar with over in the UK um, quite a few years ago, actually, going back like six years now. Um, they, were, they were a large asbestos abatement. So they were on the, uh, the contractor side, but like a whole different level, right? They had a whole IT, IT department and they, they basically developed software uh, on an iPad where they could uh, um, go out and actually pro their project management control. You know, it's like, it's, it's tracking their people. They got GPS on it. So they know when their people are there, they had, you know, all, they had all the renderings. They would have a whole engineering department do renderings of the building. So they have architecturals, but their own 3d rendering that they could spin on the iPad in real time and see where electrical is, see where plumbing is, see where areas that need to be worked on the abatement needs to happen. And, and then they could even order to vendors. We need new, you know, supplies for, you know, cause most, a lot of these projects happen after hours, right? Commercial entities. So it's you know, two in the morning. So rather than have to wait or wake up in the morning to place that order to your supplier, you know, it's like right then it's already happening. Oh, it, wow. it, yeah. It was, it, it, but, you know, I was waiting to see stuff like that, you know, tr you know, actually trickle its way into the industry. Because this was one company that put literally probably millions of dollars into being able to do it because they had those resources, big company. Yeah. We attempted, um, it didn't get, it didn't get yeah. nearly that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, it, I mean, I, I guess it's in the future, right? I mean, I, we're, we're probably going to end up there. The technology's there. We all carry very powerful mobile devices with us all the time. I think one of the challenges I, um, with trying to implement new technology and apps was security. Like, how do you secure that nobody's going to get this client's information or stuff like that? So that's always been, I've seen a challenge with some of the IT folks is, Ensuring that the security is okay and the data is going to be safe. Yeah, that, that, I mean that's that's a really good point um, because we we I mean I'm sure you do too. We we do a lot cloud based. I mean certainly for uh, for the healthy indoors. I mean we 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 are cloud based. We don't even have you know nobody works in the same location. We work all over the place and mm -hmm. and so everything is shared on online. Um, and yeah, how how secure are we? I I don't. That's <laughs> that's kind of a scary thought too. Yeah. And, and especially when you start talking about proprietary information that you might be collecting on a client that could be very damaging if their competitor got their hands on it or some, you know, somebody else could use that information adversely against that client. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Fascinating. I also had a related question. Uh, sure, Terry. Um, it finally, uh, we're starting to see uh, public, uh, elected officials, the Biden administration and so forth, uh, starting to be responsive to a long, long standing uh, severe problem of low income people, especially black and brown people uh, of low income being located in areas, uh, living in areas, working in, area, in areas and jobs where they're exposed to the highest levels and the worst kinds of uh, environmental contaminants, toxics, and so forth, adversely affecting uh, their health, uh, their lifespan, uh, their livelihood. Um, how do you, uh, do you have any thoughts about how the profession, the IQ, IAQ, EQ, hygiene, public health profession can better uh, serve those, those needs now that uh, the Biden administration is trying to uh, uh, initiate programs to respond to, to those needs. 
in so-called environmental equity. Hmm. You I call it I call it public health equity. Um, off the top of my head, I don't think there's anything. I don't see the profession specifically doing to reach those um, those areas, but I definitely think it's opportunities to collaborate with different other nonprofit organizations in those areas to educate them on resources that they can possibly do to reduce exposure or um, any potential health, um, adverse health outcomes. But I think, I don't think it's something that we can do on our own. I think it's gonna definitely take some collaboration with other entities to get that information to them and to build that trust. Cause that's the first thing in those communities. A lot of them don't speak English or they had bad, um, situations in the past with public health officials. So where they don't have that trust. So I think that's the biggest thing is finding somebody in that community that can support us and help kind of drive that information so that we can build that trust in that working relationship and introducing some other resources. What are some of the things you think could be, uh, you know, could be done to help build, rebuild public trust, especially in public health? Because it's, you know, obviously coming off the pandemic, people are very gun shy of a lot of things that have been done. I think something like what you have here, I think this is an awesome platform, podcasts, radio shows, social media, like Alexa said, everybody has their phone with them at all times. And now we're in the digital um, era. I think maybe utilizing that more than the traditional um, pamphlets that you'll get if you went to your local health department. I don't, I mean, most people don't go to their local health department, but just having that information available in, in numerous platforms, I think is the best way to tackle this. Anything to add, Alexis? Or um, no, I, I agree with everything Shai said. I'd also say that representation is the, one of the best ways to build trust um, because our field, as you said, is a lot of older white men. Uh, if we were, and I say we as, a, as a, a profession, to go into those communities and try to start, I guess, preaching uh, what can be done, a lot of people won't listen, although turn their head because um, they feel that they have no idea what it's like for them. So to have the representation, and that's something that we as a community do need to do is get more uh, diverse um, IEQ professionals in here so that we can start to build the relationship with those communities just by, and it sounds terrible, just by skin color alone or uh, language barriers or sure. things of that nature. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, that's a major impediment though, right? Because you, you can't, you, you really can't build trust if people, you know, see you as someone who is, is not credible to them, you know, not, you know, that, not, that has no understanding, right. you know, which is you know, tragic, but true, you know, so that's, I guess we have to build that. Uh, Kevin Hunter is on. Do you have a question? I'll give you, are you unmuted? Yeah, now I am. Um, okay. So, I mean, just kind of pushing the, the discussion further, you know, how can we, I mean, it's not necessarily a question. I agree with you. We need to educate uh, the masses on on this this growing you know this issue that we are now aware of that's been going on for you know since we you know since we were in caves, like Bob was saying. Um, but what you know what is a field that a you know we can um, push a young person to get into if they're interested in these types of um, you know in making a change, ma making a difference that would be competitive and you know allow them to you know sustain a living wage. You know what what would you recommend? Uh, knowing what you know now for someone get, you know, fresh out of college or out of high school that wants to um, make a difference? That's a good question. I would say environmental, environmental health. That'd be a good starting point. I'm starting to hear a lot more undergraduate programs that specialize in environmental health. 
when I was in undergrad, I, I don't recall hearing too many, even undergraduate programs in public health. But I mean, even with chemistry and biology, I mean, Alexa's background was in biology, if I'm correct? Both. Both. And I can see that just having, for her having just that foundation of chemistry and biology has definitely helped her in this field and understanding some of the dynamics and mechanism on how things um, interact or break down. I think science in general, I think if anybody's interested in science and interested in environmental health, there's an opportunity here for you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, and I come from the energy efficiency world and, um, you know, there's a lot of government funding for, you know, lowering emissions for residential, commercial, what have you. Um, but there is really nothing for, um, for this right now. It seems like there's not government funding and that's, that's something that I think will also push it forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're, oh, you got the dog. Nice. He was asleep. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all good. Actually, uh, one show we did have a cat walk across the table and turn around and stick his fanny in the, at the camera, which was it was classic. Uh, you, know, you, you can't. Yeah. You, oh, that's a nice. That's a, is it a boy? It is a boy. He's a great Dane. He's a nice boy. He looks he looks quite great. Yeah. <laughs> So, so um, we're getting to the point where we got to kind of wrap things up. So I'm going to give you uh, both Shai and Alexis, give you an opportunity just for a final closing thoughts, some other, you know, uh, uh, parting comment you, you didn't get in yet so far that you'd like to uh, share with us. So um, uh, in no particular order, I'm going to let Shai go first because Alexis <laughs> just spoke. I, I don't know. It isn't a particular <laughs> order. I mean, somebody has to, because otherwise it would be like, you know, who's speaking first. So my last uh, feedback for anyone listening, thinking about joining this field, that's what you're asking? Yeah. Go for it. Don't hesitate about it. Go for it. It is very rewarding if you're looking for something every day, something exciting, not your normal project, and sitting behind a desk crunching numbers, and you like to engage with people, and you're a people's person, this is definitely a field for you. Um, I've been enjoying it. I look forward to what the next couple years, five, ten years has to bring. Um, hopefully I become the next Dr. Krauss or something like that. I don't know, but oh, there's a lot of opportunities here. <laughs> I don't wish that on anybody. No, it's no, I, I say that in totally unjust. Uh, yeah, AIHA should actually have you on one of their uh, uh, promotional spots with that one. That was great. <laughs> Alexis. I'd like to say for anyone who's already in the industry, if we could find ways to connect with universities and kind of maybe have an internship um, funneling program or something of that nature to get the word out there and to get younger people in this field so that it doesn't die off because obviously it's very necessary. So if there's a way, and I know a lot of, um, at least MPH programs now, they have what they call special projects instead of full thesis papers um, where they have to go intern. And what a better way to A, get free labor, um, but to introduce young people to this field and hopefully spark their interest so that's something that they want to do in the future and we can watch our industry grow. Uh, you know, th those are, I think those are both really uh, well-placed comments and, um, yeah, I mean, it's it, we definitely need to move the industry forward, and uh, it's not going to happen with old people like me. 
I mean, that's a fact, you know, and, and, you know, and not to pick on your, your employer, David, uh, same thing, you know, we, we've all been around, you know, since the eighties and nineties in the industry. And, and it is really time for those of you who are, you know, who are newer in the industry and who bring new perspective and a new feel, you know, to, uh, have your opportunity to kind of take the uh, baton and take it forward. Um, to that extent, um, one of the things that I think, you know, we just recently released the, uh, healthy indoors, uh, online global community and, and uh, you know, that's, of course, available at the uh, Healthy Indoors. Uh, you, you, can, you can get to uh, learn more information at healthyindoors.com, which is kind of our central point at this place in time. That's where all of our publications currently reside. Um, it's where we live stream a lot of our programs. And uh, the community is an interesting platform. It's something we just launched, um, like I said, a few weeks back. It is a... Uh, a dedicated platform to indoor environmental topics. And I wish it didn't have the shot with me in it. That's just awful. Uh, but what it is, is a, uh, a platform that for discussion, for networking, for uh, a repository of information, you know, it's really just uh, totally, uh, totally centric to the indoor environmental community. Um, we're, we're starting to build a little traction here, getting members from all around the, uh, around the planet, actually. So this is a great opportunity and it's free. You know, you see, you, you definitely, uh, you can go to healthyindoors.com and click on the community button and it'll take you to a, a site that explains how it works and uh, gives you the opportunity to sign up and become a member. Uh, some of you on the show today, I know are members, I, I see the familiar faces. Um, so we definitely look forward to, uh, you know, having having this become more of a a place where we can have dialogues and these conversations. It's great to do it with this show, but we certainly would like to be able to do these sorts of things um, with people collectively in different groups, not just having us steward everything. Also, to to that end, talking about research and practice, uh, coming up soon uh, in November is the Healthy Buildings America 2021 conference. It's uh, November 9th through 11th in Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh boy, Hawaii. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. This is uh, an ISEAC, International Society of Indoor Air Quality and Climate Conference. It's being hosted uh, this time by Siri, which is the uh, cleaning industry uh, research Institute. Um, this is uh, an event that we're uh, with Healthy Indoors. We're involved as a media partner there, so we're uh, we're looking forward to uh, being out there in Hawaii. And the the whole premise behind this is that getting academia, the research community, and people who are on the practitioner side, both consultants and contractors, to get together and actually have an, an event where you can network and interface. So really, uh, really looking forward to that event coming up. You can learn more about that at uh, hb2021-america.org. That's uh, the site for that. So that's all, all my promotional stuff for the day. Um, Thank you so very much, Shai and Alexis. Uh, we really appreciate you guys uh, coming on and doing the show today. Uh, this was great. This was this was really good. Um, we'd love to have you on again in the future. And uh, again, we need more input from people that are coming into the industry or have come into the industry in the last decade. You know, it's really it's really important because I think we have a lot of old ideas. We need some new ones. Kind of important, right? Um, so, uh, so with that. Um, Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back here again next Thursday uh, for the Healthy Indoors live show, um, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Um, until then, I'm your host, Bob Krell. Uh, please uh, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, definitely take care. Thank you.